Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Hi, I'm Poppy King and I'm a lipstick entrepreneur and this is my Lady Startup story. Lady Startup is a movement that helps women launch and grow their own businesses, big or small, well-established or brand new. If it was founded or co-founded by a woman, it's a Lady Startup. And this is Lady Startup Stories, a podcast where female entrepreneurs answer nosy questions from me, Mia Friedman, about the fist-pumping moments when you're winning and the deep troughs of pain when things go wrong. Poppy King is the OG lady startup, the original, a legend, who started her first business at the ridiculous age of 19 back in 1992. It was a range of seven matte lipsticks named after the seven deadly sins. It was an instant cult hit and it made her a household name. Today, she has a stack of wisdom to share because she's built three sizable businesses so far, all revolving around lipstick. One, she sold for a fortune. Another collapsed and went into receivership. And each time, she's learned something, taken stock and reinvented. Her latest venture, however, is a surprising departure from lipstick and it is amazing. Today, Poppy's going to share with you what it is, why she loves failure and her five lessons for entrepreneurs. I quote you more than I quote anyone else in the world, and I think I've slightly mangled your quote. Can you just do it in your own version, the one about success or failure? First of all, I thank you. I take that incredibly highly. But the quote, and you don't mangle it, you've done a great job. It's really just that you learn more from failure than from success. I feel like when you have success, it really confirms what you kind of knew. Otherwise, you wouldn't have really done it. <laughs> you know, you kind of knew that that opportunity was there. And when you have success, it's like, okay, that confirms it. Uh, when you quote unquote fail at something, you learn so much more from that. It's such a much more lasting, not, I'm not talking about pleasant, but it's such a much more lasting experience in terms of its impact, its shaping, and its ability for you to grow and move forward. Success is kind of more of a circular thing, whereas failure is a journey. I want to take you through your five lessons for entrepreneurs. You now teach entrepreneurialism, if that's even a word. <laughs> And the first one I want you to explain is recognize the moment. Tell me what happened at a beauty counter when you asked someone for a matte lipstick. I'd been looking for matte lipstick to sort of have the 1940s sensibility and I couldn't find it. So I was thinking about, you know, the fact that there was this type of lipstick was missing. The moment that I recognized though was when I went to Myers in uh, Melbourne, Burke Street and um, was asking for matte lipstick and one of the counter women said to me, well, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me for matte lipstick, I'd be rich. And it was kind of, that was the moment. It was just recognising that maybe there's something I can do about this. It was just that little step. It's like a tiny step across a huge cavus or, you know, crevice. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. That was the moment when I turned from being a consumer looking for this product to a potential entrepreneur. So before Google, before the yes. internet, 
and I know it's hard yeah. for some people to understand. This was back in 1990, 1991. You were about 18. What did you do next? Basically, once I kind of had made that leap, the first thing I had to think about was, well, how could I get lipstick made? You know, as you said, it was 1990 you know, in Australia. The only thing I had to refer to to sort of look out into the broader world was the yellow pages. But now, obviously, it's something that you would be able to Google, you know, but it was starting with the most basic element of the business. You just have to do something, don't you? You just have to take one step forward. And ironically, I've heard you say that if Google had existed, you would have found that there was a company in the US called MAC that were already making matte lipsticks. And that's something else that I hear a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck on, that point where they say, it's not an original idea making lipstick. And yet the way you wanted to do it was original. Well, originality in an idea is only one element because the originality doesn't have to be inherent in the product. So yes, there are so many lipsticks, there are so many muffins, there are so many podcasts. It's what you're bringing to that that brings the originality. So even though there were so many lipsticks, I was bringing a couple of things that were original about it. First, the texture. Then there was the story, the fact that this sort of young girl, no business training, no kind of trust fund, no nothing, and just sort of sprung up and sort of done her own lipsticks. That story was original. And then there was the fact that they were just lipsticks, not a full line of cosmetics. And then the names, The Seven Deadly Sins, was original. So if you look at it, it's about padding it out that makes it original. And it's that point of view. Somebody's already done it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do it differently. It's just about doing it differently. Which brings me to your second rule, which is know your why. What was your why then? Because it stayed the same, hasn't it, through all your businesses? It's pretty much stayed the same. I mean, it's very easy to get bogged down in what you're going to do. What am I going to do with this idea? What, where, these kind of very exacting questions. But one thing that I found is if you think about why you're doing something first, then the kind of what, where, how can really develop. Your third rule is imagination over aspiration. Can you explain that? So I think, yes, I mean, it's certainly in my industry, in the beauty industry, a lot of the marketing and a lot of the triggers that are used in order to sell product or to get notice is the aspiration of like appealing to people's aspiration to be like this person or aspiration to look like that or aspiration to have that lifestyle or Whereas kind of I have always, I've never used celebrity or models or anything like that when it comes to sort of like promoting my products or promoting what I do. What I've used is storytelling and the imagination. So imagining what's inside you and what's possible because in the world of the imagination, there are no limits. We've kind of talked about your fifth rule, which is about being an optimist and that idea of, you know, accepting that things aren't probable, but they're possible. I want to jump to your last rule, which is about failure and success are not binary. Tell me about what that means to you, that those two things not being binary. Well, they both go together. I don't think there's anything. There might be things that people could look back at and say of mine, that was a success or that was a failure. If I think about the experience of those, it's success and failure mixed together. I wouldn't look at anything that's happened to me as just outright failure. I see successes in the failures and I see failure in the successes, you know. So it's really that thing of instead of thinking of them as these binary opposites, they coexist, they live together. You became an extraordinary celebrity in Australia. You were the first female entrepreneur. You went on to experience the highest of highs with Poppy. Let's talk about how it ended. 
Well, how it ended in Australia was when I moved to the US. But in terms of how the high, like I guess the honeymoon period, when the honeymoon period ended, which would have been 1998, so about six years after I launched. So, you know, it had a pretty long honeymoon. Six-year honeymoon's not too bad. That was when I sort of stumbled in terms of having um, business partners and getting sort of business partners that really weren't the right fish for what I was doing. And so that really caused an internal kind of implosion that then turned into an external implosion in terms of just not having a cohesive strategy between myself and my business partners as to the way forward. My best option at that point once there was this discord, was to go into receivership. So it was a very difficult period in terms of publicly, but actually in terms of kind of knowing my commitment to the business and being willing to go through the sort of public embarrassment of that, but having given the business a chance at going on, which it did. It then went on until 2002. So it went on for another four years under different ownership. But it did kind of go on and I did recover from that to a certain extent in Australia. But it really was the end of that honeymoon period. What's it like when your business goes on, but you're not in charge of it anymore? Um, It's got very different pressures. Out of the two, it's not my preference. You know, I find once you're not in charge of it, you also don't have the big headache of it. So that's nice. But it is very, very difficult because that's when going back to if you're an entrepreneur like me, who's very much run by why you're doing something, not just what. It's very hard to find people to be in a company that was yours and once was driven by why you're doing it to why somebody else is doing it. That's a very, very difficult transition. And I think it depends on your values because some people will sell a company and they make a lot of money and that's fine for them. You know, in my case, it was more to do with growth and kind of having limited ways forward, you know, being self-funded. People might be confused about why you would need investors, but one of the most difficult times in a business can be when you want to scale it up. It needs a lot of money, right? Absolutely. Certainly when you're in something where you're producing products because the scale is is a lot and you have to actually produce a lot of units and you have to produce ahead of time. You've got when launches happen. Once you launch something, even if it's financially successful, it's very, very hard to hold it still, like to kind of just hold it at that point and kind of just keep going. You will find that your retail, the other aspects of the business will be pushing you to grow. And in order to grow, that's when you need investment, you know, because you're either really, especially in the early days of business, you're either going forward or you're going backward. You can't really stand still say, okay, I'm happy here. I'm just going to stand still because competition comes in. You need newness. You know, you need more narrative. A business is really like a very hungry entity, not so much just for cash, but for narrative, for story. And that often takes investment in order to get to continue the story. Was there a time, I seem to remember with Poppy, where in Australia, you started moving into things like eye products? Did you? Is that my imagination? No, it's not your imagination. I mean, I guess the biggest category expansion that I kind of attempted to do that maybe was one of those two original (laughs) ones was lingerie. If you remember, I went from lipstick and then I did a line of lingerie. Now, again, kind of like putting it in that two original category, I mean, it was very, um, I think it was hard for my audience to understand why that moved next. I think now it would be much more understood. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle brand. Yeah, you know, Victoria's Secret, but kind of in 1998, 
to have lipsticks and then go into lingerie just seemed like such a sort of strange pivot. But to me, it made sense because, again, it's about your sense of self. It's about the female relationship with self and the kind of the intellect. And, you know, the lingerie was also kind of thinking women's lingerie. I mean, it was very attractive. There was like a pinstripe bra called Wall Street. I remember. You were ahead of your time. When I think back to that, that was definitely a case, Mia, where kind of like when you know that you're onto something, it's kind of like a tennis match. You throw the ball out and and it gets thrown back. It's got a two-way sort of sensibility. Whereas with that, I felt like I was just pushing that sort of uphill. Like people, I was the only person that really understood that move. And that's not a great thing to do, you know, um, in terms of if you want to do what is safest next is if you feel like you're the only person that's understanding why you're doing it, it's probably a sign, not necessarily the right next move. But it was it was an incredible experience and something that now would be so much more understood. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. So in between business one and business two, which was Lipstick Queen, you moved to the US, you were were poached by Estee Lauder, the Estee Lauder company, you arrived in New York age 30 and suddenly not only did you have to work for someone else, but you were in this massive corporation. Why did you decide to do that and what were those years like? Well, the approach to that came from Leonard Lauder himself. So that was a fairly compelling um, argument when the chairman actually sort of says, look, I've identified you as the right person for this position, which was this vice president of marketing for prescriptives, the brand that they had at the time. So I think the incredible sort of fairy tale aspects or Wizard of Oz or whatever you want to call it element of kind of being brought over to Gotham City, you know, by one of the biggest power brokers in New York and sort of given a green card, Fifth Avenue office. You know, I mean, it was really like something out of one of those, you know, I think my first day was so much like if you remember back to that movie Working Girl with Melanie Griffith. And at the end, the camera pans out and she's kind of like in this office, you know, herself, she's got there, like kind like, honestly, I could have been in Working Girl, like, like the day that I walked into my office with Poppy King, Vice President Poppy King sitting there. There was such a sort of fantastical element to it, but it involved going into a corporation. And I was there for three and a bit years until I decided that it just wasn't for me. Is it true um, that you wanted to leave after two weeks? I, yeah, I kind of knew, I knew it wasn't for me after two weeks, but it was a little bit like um, they'd gone to so much trouble. I mean, move my furniture. My furniture got shipped from the, I was even told if I wanted to, I could move my car. I mean, it was just like, it was like coming here on gossamer wings, you know. It was a little bit like when you go to a dinner party and kind of like you're uncomfortable, but you just can't leave till after dessert. So that was kind of my experience there, not because of any one personality or anything that they're necessarily doing wrong it's just a totally different environment where the values are just completely different as to why they're doing what they're doing and I found the politics of that level of structure 
some people thrive in it. And for me, I just found that incredibly um, draining. And it got to a point actually where when I left, I really didn't know what I was going to do. Now I didn't realise I was going to do Lipstick Queen. That kind of came about a whole different way. But I actually was prepared. I had a backup job as a waitress at this local cafe, Cafe Jatan, where you and I went. They said they'd give me waitressing shifts if I need. So I really, so I left. It really was a case of that I kind of looked at everything that had to offer, the Fifth Avenue office, the car services, the this, all of that, the, this job. And I looked at what it didn't offer me, which was the absolute sort of freedom of imagining the possible and getting not bogged down in the probable. And so even that was worth waitressing for me too. I didn't end up doing that, but (laughs) that was my big grand plan. I think it's really important um, along your career path to have jobs that don't work out because just like relationships that don't work out, it teaches you what you don't want to do and what you do want to do in your future. And for you, that was starting becoming an entrepreneur again. Well, not that you ever stopped because it's in you. What was the trajectory of of Lipstick Queen from launch to sale? So I launched, so I left the Lauder Corporation at the end of 2005 and Lipstick Queen launched at the end of 2006. So it was about a year um, because I surprisingly, when I went to leave the corporation, I was actually given another opportunity, but this time as an entrepreneur with Lipstick Queen to sort of be backed and do my own thing. And that's what Lipstick Queen was, was a sort of, uh, you know, a new opportunity with backing though. So I didn't own it, but I was running it, you know, and I had a percentage of ownership in it, but I was running it. In 2008 here, there was just such a huge collapse in the, you know, with the, uh, I was going to say Enron. No, that was earlier. With, no, well, that was the GF. Without. That was the GFC. That's when we launched Mamma Mia again, and it was another recession. You and like launching so, in a recession, and there's no accident about that, is there? Because they say that no, lipstick sales go up in a recession. Yes, that's called the famous lipstick index. But yes, yeah, so so in 2008, I got to a situation where where the backing was not so clear, and I had two options of either closing it or selling it to another entity and going with it, and that's what I did. So in 2011, I sold it to a, a much bigger entity that has a number of beauty brands, and they ran it, and I really consulted to it for the next kind of six years until I decided to leave entirely and go back out on my own in 2017. Can I ask you a rude question? Have you made enough money now yeah. that you don't have to work? No, I have made, certainly not in New York, (laughs) I have made enough money now that I can finance my own startup idea, small, in a small way, not in a large way. So I have made enough money that I can be self-funded in what's called the proof of concept phase. So when you've got an idea and you have to look for funding, the proof of concept is the zero to six million phase. You know, it's when, it's when you're starting it, when it hasn't been, it's not proven yet. You don't know what's there yet. Once your concept has proven to have some traction, that's really the ideal time to get funding because that way you don't have to give away so much of the business. For me, I've always had to have in, investors in the proof of concept phase. I've always had to have investors right from the start. I've never had the ability to have some idea get it off the ground myself, see what's possible with it, and then bring investors in, which is a very different scenario than having investors in from day one, which is partly why, you know, I find myself at a sort of crossroads, you know, in my career right now is because I, um, the scale of doing lipsticks now, especially because I'm based in America, is just so huge. 
So I have pulled back because I insist on being self-funded with what I do. I have pulled back until I can figure out a business model of bringing lipsticks back to people in a way where I can do it self-funded. I'm not going to do it anymore. And that's a decision that I made six months ago. So in this proof of concept stage, is that why you have three colours and you're selling through QVC? So is that different? Yes. I mean, what I'm doing is I'm doing different. Actually, Femme de Poppy was a venture with Barney's and Barney's unfortunately (laughs) went under. So so Femme de Poppy was really, that was an exclusive for Barney's. I had two things going. I had the exclusive for Barney's with Femme de Poppy and I had an exclusive going with QVC, which is called Lip Centric and it's just got one shade. So Femme de Poppy is kind of on hold and I've been doing just the QVC, but I, because I've been doing so well on QVC, which I'm thrilled to say, but it's a little bit of a difficult situation because I'm doing so well on it that I'm at the point now where I, I have to decide whether I'm going to grow it or not, which means decide whether or not I'm going to get investors or not. So that's why I'm a little bit kind of on hold because I, um, I'm not sure that I want to go down that track again and I'm looking for ways and thinking all the time of ways to maintain my self-fundedness in this business and that's my challenge. Last question, what do you want to do next? Well, there's two things. I had two projects in my mind. There's a novel that I've wanted to write for a long, long, long time. I've been working on it behind the scenes for about four years. Um, I don't even think I've told you about it. This was just such a dream project. It was something that I'd never even told anyone about because it just always felt like such a sort of reach goal. It's to do with all the fairy tale women in their in their middle age. So it's Belle and Sleeping Beauty and and Snow White and all that. So it's very funny. And I've, I've had this entire narrative going in my head for years and years and years and all of them together. I mean, it's, it's very funny. Then um, the other thing that I really, really was my passion project is to bring to life a digital lipstick museum because I have an unbelievable collection of 20th century lipsticks going through from the whole eras of lipstick. I've got an amazing Smithsonian level, which ultimately I will donate. I'd like the collection to come back to Australia. I very much would like the collection ultimately. It's enormous. I have thousands and lipstick paraphernalia and couture. I mean, I've been doing it since I was, before I even had lipstick business, I was collecting vintage lipsticks. I've always been obsessed with them. It's all here in this huge cabinet I've got. It's all archived and all organised. and all. So that was my other passion project was like once I made enough money, I would get this vintage lipstick museum, this digital museum up and running. Well, you're such a technical whiz. That should be no problem. You'll sort that <laughs> shit out really fast. Exactly. Please, yeah, it's, please it's, find it's, someone to help you with that. I am photographing it all myself. So I'll be launching that sometime this year. Amazing. Well, that's definitely not probable, but very possible. (laughs) I lied when I said last question because I've got five fast questions that I want to end with. Are you ready? Now, this is funny because the first one is, what's the piece of software or app that you use most often to help you in your business? Budify. B-U-D-D-I-P-H-Y. Budify. It's this fantastic meditation app. It really is fantastic because it's got a menu and you can choose like what you're feeling and then there's different suggestions of meditation. And I have to tell you that the meditations on that, when I'm feeling in a conundrum in business, I find Budify is is really the only app that I use that really helps me with business. Morning routine. 
my cat wakes me up when my cat wants That's me up. Cat. Yeah, you know. Once I've seen to the cat, it's coffee, black coffee with almond milk, and I'll watch some of the news for a bit and have my coffee until I wake up. And then once my brain is awake, you know, start getting writing. The biggest mistake you've made in business and what you learned from it? The biggest was thinking that I need anybody else's permission to be in business. I love that because it's like that's the antidote to imposter syndrome because we all have it. It's yeah. like, I can't yeah. start a business. I'm just like, well, I, you know, I'm just a mum with two kids or I'm just Anytime like, I, wait, I don't have a degree no. or do you have a degree? No. Yeah. Same. HSC, HSC. HSC, legends. We're so clever. Uh, the part of your job that you hate the most? Repetition. I have to repeat and repeat and repeat. One of the things I don't think anybody tells you, and I'm sure singers and, you know, other people would tell you the same thing. Like with success, I think any form of success comes so much repetition. You have to repeat the story over and over again. You have to repeat what you're doing over and over again. You have to repeat. There is so much repetition in success and that's, I find that very hard. Really is the last question. What is the part of your uh, job that you love the most? language I love language and for me you know marketing and coming up with ideas or writing or designing colors it's all about language it's all about a kind of way of using the mind to connect to something else and the journey of the mind into the external so for me it's kind of I just absolutely love using words and taking words and doing something so different with them and turning that into a business. So it always starts for me with the language. I love you. Thank you for being a trailblazer and a mentor to (laughs) multiple generations of women. Well, thank you, Mia. And and you played such a huge part in my early success. Well before anybody else kind of was willing to do anything, you moved mountains for me. So thank you. I love you. Love you too. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that. Now it is takeaway time. At the end of every episode, I'm going to tell you my biggest aha moment, the biggest nugget that I took from the conversation that we can all hold on to. And with Poppy, it's this. Originality is overrated. Poppy did not invent lipstick. She didn't even disrupt it all that much when she took on the global giants by launching a tiny range of seven matte lipsticks out of her Melbourne garage. MAC was already making matte lipsticks. It wasn't an entirely new thing. But nobody, not even those giants with their billions of dollars, could have done what she did in the way that she did it, even though she had almost no money and absolutely no experience. Do you remember how she said, you know, there are so many muffins and so many lipsticks, and I would add so many T-shirts and so many earrings and so many websites for women, but there's always room for one more because those things are really popular. The original part comes in the way that you do it. Literally, nobody will do it the way you do because nobody is you. Poppy's brand was built from her vision, which meant everything from the colours she chose to the formulation of the lipsticks themselves to the fact that she sold it in fashion boutiques rather than at beauty counters. Every single one of those decisions and those choices was part of the very unique Poppy King recipe, which turned her brand into a raging success. Not once, but several times in her career as a serial entrepreneur. So do not psych yourself out and freak yourself out about being original. It's not the most important thing. And you are already original. Nobody can replicate your recipe. So what next, I hear you asking? How do you actually start? Well, when Poppy started her business, 
the internet didn't even exist. And, you know, the wheel hadn't yet been invented. Only one of those things is a lie. She opened the Yellow Pages, which was basically our Google back then, and looked up Lipstick Factory, as you heard. And from there, she needed to work it all out. Luckily for you, it is way easier than that to start your own business. But still, I know that this how question is something that is a big cause of analysis paralysis for women. For me, it was really simple. I looked up and there in the sky, written in enormous letters one day, were the words, you have been chosen to start a website for women called Mamma Mia. So I went back inside and I opened my laptop and there it was. Jokes. Doesn't actually happen like that, of course. So stop waiting for it too. You'll be waiting a long time. You'll be waiting forever. The only way to start is to listen to that voice that knows that there's something more for you, even if you don't know what that something is. And then take one step, just one step towards making it happen. I know it's overwhelming. And if that's what's stopping you, I have a possible answer. Those first few years for me and for almost every entrepreneur that I know and that I've spoken to, we really struggle. We waste a lot of time, we waste a lot of energy, and we waste a lot of money because we do not have a step-by-step plan telling us what to do. So I decided that the most helpful thing I could do for other women is to make that plan, to create this six-part step-by-step plan that goes over six weeks that you do online, that works for any business idea, whether it's a product or a service. Hundreds and hundreds of different business ideas have been started by women who've done the Lady Startup Activation Plan. And at the end of July, we are opening the doors to my flagship program, The Activation Plan. We don't do it very often, so it's not something that you can just join up to whenever you want to. It's something that I like to take everyone through myself because we have a Facebook group and I do private sessions and mentoring with people and there's a whole community that's built around it. So you have to be quick. During the course, I will walk you through all the steps from idea to launching your business in just six weeks. And if you don't have an idea, then we helped you with that too. And of course, you don't have to do it just in the six weeks. You've got lifetime access to the course and you can do it completely in your own time and at your own pace. No more overwhelm, no more wondering how, no need for Google, the yellow pages or some writing in the sky that's never going to come. If you have been waiting for a sign, don't look up. Listen, this is it. The time is now. Head to ladystartup.com or follow the link in the show notes to learn more and hopefully I'll see you on the inside.